Greetings, and thank you for tuning into this podcast episode focused on cancer screening entitled Emerging Solutions for Cancer Screening Challenges, Multi-Cancer Early Detection. Our learning objectives for this podcast are 1. Appraise the evolving landscape of cancer screening, including limitations of existing screening methods and guidelines, and 2. Describe the complementary or additive role that blood-based screening can play in the primary care setting specifically for multi-cancer early detection, MCED. Today, we will be joined by Dr. Tamaz M. Beer, Deputy Director of the OHSU Knight Cancer Institute, the Grover C. Bagby Endowed Chair for Prostate Cancer Research, and Professor of Medicine in the Division of Hematology at the Oregon Health and Science University. We are also joined by Dr. Aparna R. Parikh, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, Director of the Global Cancer Care Program and Director of the Young Adult Colon Cancer Program at Massachusetts General Hospital. And now, let's get started. Hi, my name is Dr. Parna Parikh, and I'm an Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School and uh, Director of Global Cancer Care um, at the Mass General uh, Hospital Cancer Center, as well as the director of the Young Onset Colon Cancer Program. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Tom Beer, who is a professor of medicine and the chief medical officer of the Center for Early Detection um, Advanced Research at OHSU Knight Cancer Institute. Today, we're thrilled to discuss the current cancer screening landscape and how new technologies are emerging for early cancer screening. Um, our learning objectives today are going to be to appraise the evolving landscape of cancer screening, including the limitations of existing screening methods and guidelines, and describe the complementary or additive role that blood-based screening tools may play in the primary care setting, especially for multi-cancer early detection. Well, I'm delighted to be here, and uh, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to kick off the first question for our discussion. Um, um, I wondered if you could comment on what does cancer screening in primary care setting look like right now? And can we take a look at summarizing the current recommendations for different cancer screenings, what the main practical challenges that primary care doctors encounter are? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the challenge is, is you know, the majority of cancers actually don't have a screening tool, but um, we do have a handful of screening um, tools for um, several solid malignancies, including cancers like cervical cancer, where guidelines recommend screening anyone with the cervix at the age of 25, um, breast cancer, um, with some debate around which age, um, starting as early as 40, um, colorectal cancer, where we have seen updated guidelines in the last several years as a response to the incidence, um, increasing incidence of early early colorectal cancer in patients that are 45. And then um, prostate um, cancer screening, especially for African-Americans at the age 45. And then after 50, um, discussing with um, the healthcare provider around the role for prostate cancer screening. Um, above age 50, um, lung cancer screening for current and former smokers. And we've seen a shift in the packier recommendation for lung cancer screening. And then again, above age 50, um, breast, cervical, and colorectal cancer. So some of the problems we have, there's only a limited um, toolkit for some of these cancers. And we know that when you detect cancer earlier, in general, patients tend to do um, better. But all of these tests um, require some component of 
patients coming in for a procedure of sorts, um, some diagnostic procedure, and we know that there are often barriers for patients to come back to get some of these tests, um, particularly tests like uh, colonoscopy, where it requires a prep um, before a you know, lengthy procedure, which is not quite in and out of the office. Um, so some, those are some of the challenges faced um, in terms of making sure that patients are up to date with their screening and then actually getting their screening and then the, again, limited cancers in which we actually have a screening tool available for. Um, I'd, I'd love to sort of throw a question back to you, too. What do you think um, some of the controversies are around screening um, and uh, screening guidelines and limitations that we face with current cancer screening tools. I think I hit on some, but would love to hear your thoughts as well. Sure. Well, you know, that's a that's an easy topic for a prostate cancer oncologist uh, in that I think the PSA um, screening for prostate cancer is a classic example of some of the difficulties that are inherent in early detection. There we've seen the national recommendations oscillate from relatively enthusiastic embrace early on to all the way to a, a D or an against recommendation from the USPSTF in 2012, and uh, more recently back to a C recommendation, which essentially uh, suggests that uh, PSA early detection for prostate cancer should be discussed and offered in the context of an informed consent discussion with a balanced consideration of um, potential benefits and potential risks. And, and there, I think. Um, you know, one of the challenges that, that uh, led to these uncertainties and controversies is the issue of overdetection and overdiagnosis. So we do actually in prostate cancer have prospective evidence of cancer-specific survival benefit from the European study, the ERSPC study, about a 21% reduction in prostate cancer-related mortality in the screen population. That was not seen in the US PLCO, but the US PLCO had a relatively high rate of contamination. Uh, more than half the folks in the control group um, uh, got screened anyway, making it a bit more challenging to demonstrate the benefit. But there is, so there is some evidence of benefit, but I think the US PSTF and others were um, substantially concerned about uh, the detection of um, many clinically insignificant cancers and the resulting anxiety, uh, excess biopsies, and um, unnecessary surgery and radiation and so forth. I think we've made some headway in this area in that um, uh, the prostate cancer field has learned to uncouple a treatment from diagnosis and introduced active surveillance and monitoring. So I think those issues are being addressed by clinicians in practice, but we don't yet have large-scale level one evidence of the impact of those alterations. Um, so that's one example of overcoming these barriers. There are many others, but uh, uh, we have so much to discuss. Perhaps we can uh, move on to the next question. And here I wanted to um, come back to you and talk a bit about emerging technologies and how these might uh, alter the landscape. So one option that's emerging for cancer screening is blood-based tests, and particularly blood-based tests that might detect multiple cancers simultaneously. Could you um, explain how those work and talk to us a little bit about available options for blood-based cancer screening, including the emerging multi-cancer early detection tests? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an exciting time, and you know, we look forward to seeing a lot of 
um, emerging data in this um, space over the coming years. But I think one of the strategies of these multi-cancer early detection tests is that we know that for, um, as, as you mentioned too, for some cancers there's suboptimal screening happening, um, and then for others there's also inappropriate uh, screening happening. And with um, a multi-cancer early detection test, which is a blood-based test, can we start to use a tool like this to overcome some of these barriers both on the patient level and provider level? So what exactly is a multi-cancer early detection test? And you'll hear the acronym again, MCED, often. Um, the idea being is that there are tumor-derived fragments, um, cells, cell-free DNA, fragments of um, tumor DNA, uh, uh, fragments of tumor DNA, um, tumor-derived DNA is methylated differently than normal cells. And in the blood, you can actually detect these different patterns and distinguish sort of cancer from non-cancer. And the idea with these tests is that with one single test, you might be able to screen from multiple cancers. Um, and it's, again, one test, and it uses a range of these different biomarkers, including methylation patterns, um, fragmentation patterns, mutational profiles, proteins, um, circulating tumor cells, extracellular vesicles, so different range of biomarkers and different um, technologies are using different biomarkers in the blood. But what the idea is that in the blood, not only can you detect a cancer, but given unique signatures of um, particularly methylation, for example, you may be actually able to figure out the tissue of origin. So it's twofold, detecting a cancer, but also trying to figure out where that cancer is coming from in a single blood test. So that's the idea um, behind a multi-cancer early detection um, test. And I think what's critical to understand in this space is that the multi-cancer early detection test um, is not to replace current standard of care screening guidelines where we know screening for certain cancers have improved mortality but really to complement and supplement the um, current screening modalities what we have. But with these tests, as I mentioned, um, we only have a handful of cancers where there are um, screening tools available for. Can we pick up other cancers that may otherwise um, not be detected till late, um, particularly lethal cancers? Um, as Dr. Beer mentioned with prostate cancer, um, it's a little bit trickier in the sense that maybe a uh, rise in a PCA wasn't as predictive of kind of poor outcomes um, and earlier may not necessarily be better, but for some cancers we know that earlier is better and if we don't have a screening tool, can we use these MCED tests um, to supplement? Well, that, uh, with that wonderful introduction, I, um, I thought I'd jump in and, and chat a bit about the, the state of the studies in the multi-cancer early detection space. Um, you know, there are an amazing number of technologies and um, companies investing in this space. Um, the, uh, um, uh, they are looking at different analytes. So, for example, you've mentioned uh, DNA methylation. That's uh, uh, the process of, of silencing the expression of genes. That's the basis for uh, the gallery uh, test, which we've been involved with. That test... Um, was uh, prospectively evaluated uh, in the Pathfinder study where we enrolled more than 6,000 uh, individuals over the age of 50, uh, used the test, delivered test results to patients and their physicians, used those results to search for cancer, 
We were able to present the preliminary results of that at ASCO uh, 2021 um, and um, anticipate presenting additional results um, at future meetings as follow-up is completed. Uh, that test is undergoing continued evaluation in a larger prospective Pathfinder 2 study, which is enrolling 20,000 participants and following them for three years, as well as several other, uh, other studies. But there are other um, uh, folks working in this space as well. There's a test called CancerSeq, which is using uh, mutation and um, protein biomarkers, as well as potentially other strategies um, uh, that's been through a pilot prospective study of over 10,000 women. Uh, and uh, we look forward to learning more about the status of that. There are companies focused on DNA fragmentation, on um, multiomic strategies where multiple analytes are being looked at simultaneously. So I think it's an area uh, of a lot of promise and interest um, from a range of academic centers as well as um, uh, diagnostic companies. Um, I, I do want to reiterate, though, that at this point, um, to the extent that folks gain access to these tests, either through a clinical trial or um, uh, through some clinical access as they become available, um, they have, none of them have been designed to replace proven early detection strategies that, after all, have an established overall survival advantage uh, in terms of cancer-specific deaths. Um, so that, that's an important point, I think. Now, turning back to you, um, how do you see these tests being used uh, in the clinic, and um, do you see that they might have a role in primary care down the line? Yeah, I think the you know immediate role as we wait for sort of um, longer term data of um, clinical benefit for these is for patients, um, for example, who are at high risk for um, certain cancers. So um, in the GI world, that's you know patients, for example, with Lynch syndrome, um, other patients that have genetic syndromes that predispose them to um, cancers where they're not may not be. Um, great screening tools for such as pancreatic cancer or ovarian cancer. Um, so I think that these are unique opportunities for a test like this, um, particularly for those higher risk individuals where um, either there is limited screening or we know that the um, uh, interval for development in between screenings is still um, of high risk for these patients. So um, currently, with where the data stands, I think I'm very intrigued and curious to see if that's the patient population that we can um, provide immediate benefit for rather than sort of an all over 50, um, all comer uh, US sort of population based level um, scenario. I also think there's some really question, important questions around equity and you know, a lot of these other tests, as we mentioned, require, you know, time off, time off work and um, limitations of where these tests can be, um, when and where these tests can be delivered. And um, it begs the question, does a, a blood-based test with just a single phlebotomy help us over, overcome some of the barriers that we see with certain patient populations where screening isn't happening? Um, so um, I think the equity question is a really important question right now. So um, those are some examples where I think um, right now we may be able to use these tests in a more immediate fashion. Um, and the, you know, the cons, again, is that we don't yet know is early detection for some cancers always better. And 
you know, the number needed to screen to get a positive test is, you know, uh, you know in the thousands of range. And um, from some of the early data that we've seen, you're seeing, you know, sort of one to two percent of positive tests, and then that um, subsequently invokes a diagnostic, um, you know, cascade um, of events um, in terms of trying to confirm where the cancer is coming from. So as a health system, I think there's a lot of questions for us to grapple with um, before we start to use these for all patients. No, I, I, I completely agree. I think um, the importance of high quality, robust data in really establishing uh, the clinical utility of these tests is going to be critical. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about the, the future of these because as I think about the, the prospects of um, early detection for uh, cancers that cause the majority of U.S. cancer deaths, it's important to recognize that it's no accident that we have early detection tests pretty much only for the most common cancers. Um, and um, it's quite difficult to develop uh, early detection tests for rare cancers uh, the test performance required is just not technically achievable when you have a very low uh, burden of, of a particular disease. And of course, it's not practical to develop 100 different cancer screening tests and then ask our population to go get a cancer test every three days uh, so they can get all 100 in in a, in a, in a year before they start again. Uh, and that's just a hypothetical example, of course. But, um, uh, but I think a single blood test... Um, is likely the the only practical way forward to address the majority of those less common cancers that taken together uh, contribute um, greatly to cancer um, mortality. And and you know as an oncologist, I I encounter all the time friends and family who come and say my uh, relative had ovarian cancer or or pancreatic cancer. What can I do? And it's uh, you know at this point it's it's um, difficult to share that really other than healthy living and, and general diet and exercise recommendations, there's little that we can offer to individuals at, at standard risk who are concerned about uh, a particular cancer for which no screening is available. So I, I'm excited to see all the research going on. I think we should support the research and gather data um, and learn more about these and, and hopefully we'll see them uh, these tests prove useful clinically and, and enter um, into practice down the line. Well, those are such important, great, great points and um, echo your sentiments. It's a really exciting time. And um, we know that there's such an importance of screening. And in, in my line of work, colorectal cancer, you know, I say any screening is better than no screening. So um, better to get screened. And if we have tools like this, it would be fantastic. Um, but we know that there's still um, an abundance of data that we really need to see before we start to think about wide-scale implementation. Um, but we also recognize that with our limited tools that we have currently, we're still having issues with uptake access um, and patients completing their screening, even when there are screening tools available. So really a unique opportunity and time to see not only for existing cancers for screening, but all these other important rare cancers where mortality is high. Um, can we really move the needle on cancer mortality? Um, so with that, um, we um, hope that we, you found this useful and really enjoy the conversation with you, Dr. Beer. Thank you so much for having me. That's all the time we have for today. 
Doctors Beer and Parikh, thank you for taking the time to teach us more about this important topic. To obtain your CME credit, please visit primemed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description, where there is a direct link to the activity page on primemed.com for claiming CME credit. This podcast is part of a curriculum. Please visit primemed.com for more information on the other activities in this series on cancer screening. Thank you for listening.